Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, June 5th, 2014. We are reading today from the big book, and we are on page 73, the first full paragraph that begins more than most people. Today's readers are Santa on the 12 Steps, Lorraine on the 12 Traditions, and reading the text are Jill, Katie F., and Lauren S. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. And I uh, failed to mention the reference number for yesterday's meeting, June 4th, is 6421. 6421. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry the message to compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and trail of traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Santa to read the 12 steps. Good morning. My name is Santa, recovered, and these are the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we have harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 
12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Santa. And uh, I'll now ask Lorraine, would you read the 12 traditions? Yes. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting others or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Let's not problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relation policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need to always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Lorraine. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 73, the first full paragraph, and we will read two paragraphs to begin and share on the second one. And I will ask Jill to begin reading. Good morning, Kathy. Can you hear me? I can, Jill. Thank you. Great, thanks. This is Jill, recovered compulsive reader from Connecticut. More than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life. He is very much the actor. 
To the outer world he presents his stage character. This is the one he likes his fellows to see. He wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. The, the inconsistency is made worse by the things he does on his sprees. Coming to his senses, he is revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. These memories are a nightmare. He trembles to think someone might have observed him. As fast as he can, he pushes these memories far inside himself. He hopes they will never see the light of day. He is under constant fear and tension. That makes for more drinking. Again, Jill Compulsive Overeater recovered in Connecticut. Um, when I read this, I think, you know, much has already been said yesterday about how many of us are chameleons and we adapt to our situations. We can be very disingenuous and dishonesty is one of our four major character defects. And we spend, I spent a lifetime hiding those defects from others and at times from myself. Uh, it's amazing how quickly I can dismiss things I've done. And I had to also add my reactions to things others have done because that far outweighed and, and led to a great deal of fear in my own history. Uh, so with these things tucked far inside and being in the food, I was able to, to keep those things there. But when the food is down, this stuff comes up and just haunted me, led to you know the mental obsession increasing, and I was holding my breath underwater, and I had an opportunity to do step five, which was to tell someone all my life story so that it can't hurt me anymore, and it certainly lost its power. I don't live in constant fear or tension anymore, and it's not been an excuse for me to pick up uh, or engage in any other food behaviors. Uh, with the uh, Step 10 process, I'm able to address those things quickly so that they don't build into uh, something I'm not able to take care of. So uh, with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Kathy. Thank you, Jill. Who would like to share on the second paragraph? Joanne. Okay, Joanne, go ahead. Hi, my name is Joanne. I'm a compulsive eater from Boston. And that paragraph, I can identify with it completely. I remember when I was in the food, for a long time I would lie about what I had done over the weekends. Um, because I'd usually binge the whole week about when I would get to work. I would just make up stories about all the activities I had done and who I was with when the fact was I was holed up usually from Friday night till Sunday in the food. And I'll never forget when my boss called me on it once um, because it worked the chameleon. I was pretending everything was fine. You know, I'm 50 pounds overweight. I'm trying to do this sales job. And I, my boss could, you know, something was really off at a meeting one time I was at. And I remember my boss a month later called me on it. And he said, you know, I don't know what's going on in your personal life, but when you bring that into work, I have a problem with that. And it was the first time I realized, like, the act was over. Like, the misery and the depression and the resentment and the anger, all that stuff I've been trying to bottle was spilling over to, into work, and I, and I just felt totally exposed and scared. And um, in my experience with the fifth step, 
in reading all this with um, another person in recovery, it was so freeing because I was able to just lay it out. It was very painful to see, but the person on the other end was so loving and she kept reminding me that I did the best I could when I was doing what I did. You know, I didn't have the spiritual kid. I didn't have the tools. But now I did, and I was a precious child of God and building a new foundation to go forth. So, um, you know, it was just a wonderful experience to have someone really know all of me and still love me. Thank you. Thank you, Joanne. And who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Janice M. From this is Larry. Okay, Janice M. and then Larry. Go ahead, Janice. Yes, well, thank you, Kathy G. and everyone. My name is Janice M. from Massachusetts, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Yes, these two paragraphs have my name on it um, because it fits me to a T. Um, You know, I was playing the great hypocrite, you know, and it takes so much, you know, so much energy, so much energy to, to keep a lie straight. I mean, you know, so therefore we, you know, we tremble. We have a constant, constant unresolved conflict. At least I did, you know. And you know what sentence I love here is is in the second paragraph, this inconsistency makes it worse, naturally, because it's pretty hard to keep up with the hypocrite. As fast as he can, he pushes these memories far inside himself. Well, what I see here is I tried, you know, I know uh, far inside myself is to ignore and, bid, and be disobedient to my conscience. Now, I, mean, I don't know about you, but, you know, I always had a conscience. I, I mean, I always had that little voice, but I always disobeyed it. See, I disobeyed that peace of God that I find today inside myself to do myself well. See, and, and that's pretty hard to do because I'm I'm powerless. You know, God is more powerful. My, my higher power is more powerful than me. So I was trying always to push these things down and push these things down. And the more I pushed it down, the more it says it led me at the end. It led me. That makes for more drinking. That's exactly what it was because the more I pushed these lies down, um, you know, I became more restless, more irritable. And, you know, the disease, my disease is progressively worse. I mean, it gets worse. So it was like a, a, a losing battle, you know. I, I was up against the wall. And my conscience would always come up. And, uh, you know, uh, but I, I ignored it because of my self-rationalization and my self-justification of the way I, you know, wanted everybody to see on the outside how my home was, how my family was. But yet, I, you know, I wasn't uh, obeying God's principles. And uh, with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Um, and Larry, please go ahead. Hi, Kathy. Thank you for your service. Larry, a uh, recovered compulsive overeater uh, from Chicago. Okay, so so I'll revisit, you know, what we're talking about here and, and more importantly, why uh, Bill Wilson felt it necessary to address it. You know, first, we're talking about a person, you know, just like me, um, for the first five years in the program who chose um, to take a shortcut in their fifth step. You know, that's what I did. And again, 
as a result of, you know, we're reminded egoism and fear. You know, I chose to hang on to my deepest, darkest secrets. You know, and as to the question of why, you know, that we're, we're looking at this, well, it's important. We, we hadn't humbled ourselves enough to become fully honest with another a person because of deep-seated shame. I mean, that was the case for me. My shame won out in the end. It was my master. It kept me in prison in a life that I told you and anyone else that would care to listen, I didn't want anymore. I meant it when I said, I pleaded with, you know, oh, picked up the food again. And I, But I don't want this. I don't want this life. I'm done. Have you, have you said that before? I'm done. I'm ready. I'm ready. No, today I'm ready. You know, the same nonsense to myself. I couldn't lie to myself. You know, of course, of course we go out and eventually binge our brains out. That was the case for me. You know, I'm stuck in, in the old playbook, the old, you know, neural pathways in my brain, the old recipe for remorse and shame. I mean, that's what I was engaged in. And, you know, my incongruence, my inconsistency, you know, my walk, walk didn't match my talk, talk, right? My incongruence made me sick. It made me sick literally. And it made me sick figuratively. Didn't matter, just sick. And under that, you know, that constant lash of this disease, I could no longer cope with the fear, tension, and anxiety, you know, my constant companion. I don't have that fear, tension, and anxiety today, by the grace of God. But I, when I did, I, I basically blocked off God from entering my consciousness. You know, and, and, and I, you know, in effect, I, I rewrote step five to read, you know, hidden from God and others, the exact nature of my wrongs. You know, so therefore, of consequence, step six, I erroneously thought I took, proved to me that I was entirely not ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And yet I proceeded to, you know, on to step seven, to brazenly demand that he remove my shortcomings. And then I convinced myself that that is indeed what happened. But see, the disease, the disease, no one, you know, my sponsor, other people can tell me what their experience is. There's a lot of beautiful people in this program on this line. The disease will prove my greatest persuader. The disease will tell me if I've taken a proper step five six, seven, and so forth. The, the disease will tell me if I'm living in 10. I can tell myself all day long I'm living in 10, 11, and 12. I know lots of people that have picked up over after many, many years. And by the way, I'm not cocky about this at all. I'm on the phone every day. I do a lot of stuff every day. It's not just the tools that I pick up. It's, um, it's, I've moved from a, God, from a self-centered consciousness to a God-centered consciousness God did that for me. I didn't do that for myself. I just chopped my wood. I did. God did for me what I could not do for myself. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Ralph. Barbara? Kim. Kim. Okay. Um, did I hear Ralph? Yes. Okay, Ralph, Barbara, and Kim, and I think there was one other person. Is there someone else? Okay, Ralph, Barbara, Kim. Go ahead, Ralph. 
Thank you. Good morning, Ralph M. from New York City. Thank you, everyone, for being there. Um, I love the second paragraph because I realize after I come out of a binge, um, I then move into fast-forward mode, you know, to adjust my personality and get my lies in order and clean up my crumbs, literally, and usually join my partner um, for the day or for dinner or for whatever situation or others. And, um, you know, I... I try to join life, but I physically show up, but mentally I'm so vacant and, and, and I'm in my inauthentic acting mode. And I just sit there, you know, and I pretend that I'm all that, you know, and uh, deep down inside I'm just so, so lost and lonely. But my personality is one that makes me show up and be, you know, the, 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 the funny one and, and, and the bright one and the one that, that everyone comes to for advice and inside I'm just dying. And, um, you know, to live a life like that over and over, year after year, is just, just very, very painful. And sometimes you don't even know how, hard the, how painful it is because it becomes what is. Um, one of the things I always say, being in a relationship for 26 years, it, it saved me, believe it or not, because... I couldn't go full throttle 24 hours a day because I had someone around me. Um, not that that makes it any worse or any better, but um, it just um, sort of helped it a little bit. But I just feel like, you know, I love this part about us being actors, you know, because, you know, you show up and you'd say to yourself, um, okay, I'm, I, I always prided myself by saying I'm a chameleon, I'm a sponge, I can fit in anywhere. But I always did that so that I could come out smelling like a rose, you know. I, I always did that so that I could show up and, and feel good about myself because inside I felt so bad. And, um, you know, today I'm willing to do a fourth step again and, and rid myself of all this and move on and be God-centered instead of ego-centered. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Ralph. And Barbara, please go ahead. Thank you. This is Barbara, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts. And um, I love the fact that in looking at Step 5 here and in looking at the previous paragraph about the double life, the actor, you know, there's so much to hide. And as was said, you know, I'm as sick as my secrets. And always feeling I don't deserve any praise because there was so much self-hate with the disease. I remember when I came to the program and an early sponsor, you know, would affirm something good about me in doing the inventory when I could see nothing good in addition to the way I was even not on a binge, just my whole personality makeup and my behavior and my set of morals or lack of them. When she'd say something good, I couldn't accept it because that, as was said in the previous paragraph, I just don't deserve it. I just don't deserve it. And she'd say, just say thank you. And that was a lesson she repeated over and over again that I say to this day and that I share to this day, just say thank you, because I felt like such a fraud. I always say that word. I feel like a fraud because I know that somehow underneath it all, underneath all the garbage and the eating and the lying and the cheating and all that goes with practicing the addiction, there was some center that was good, but I never felt deserving of it. And as this second paragraph says, you know, the sprees, the binges made it worse because then I really wasn't about to show anybody that inside and I couldn't believe there was a, a spark of something good in there. 
and the inventory is getting through all the stuff and the hiding and the everything that goes with it got me to feel that there is a center i could say you know if you really knew me it's not you wouldn't like me but if you really knew me you'd accept the person just as i'm encouraged now to see the person and not the disease and that's a constant hope and prayer of mine to see the person and not the disease in the other people around me but also in myself so in this you know being willing to take this look at oneself and that myself in the fourth step and admit it to God, to myself, and to another human being. The reason I can do it is because that other person is a human like me who has strengths and weaknesses. It's not any perfect human being, which I used to think I had to be. It's a person who acknowledges humanity and, um, and both, um, both sides of, of what it is to be human. Um, so thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Barbara. And Kim, please go ahead. Good morning, Kathy Kay. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. So I'm going to link two sentences together in that second paragraph. It says, coming to his senses, so that means the food is down, the drink is down. Coming to his senses, he is revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. And then I'm going to link it with that last sentence. He is under constant fear and tension that makes for more drinking. So what they're letting us know is when we put the drink down, that's when our problem begins. I used to think I was in constant fear and tension because I was in the food. And if that was true, then that means that I, when I become abstinent, the constant fear and tension is going to go away. What they're explaining here is I am under constant fear and tension when abstinent. And what is my solution to that constant fear and tension? is to pick up the food. So that is reiterating what we are being taught throughout this book is that food and weight is not our problem. If food was my problem, then abstinence would be the answer. If weight was my problem, then the many times I lost weight, that would be my answer. But it's letting us know here that constant fear and tension is reiterating what we learned in the doctor's opinion, that we are restless, irritable, and discontent unless we can again experience the ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few bites. So they're letting us know here, if we want to get rid of this constant fear and tension, we're going to have to do some action. And they're letting us know what these actions are. We wrote down our inventory. What did we say in our in beginning of the inventory? We're going to get rid of those things that are objectionable and get rid of them promptly and without regret. Well, promptly means when we do that step four, we immediately get into step five. We're getting rid of these things that are objectionable. And if we get rid of these things that are objectionable, and we're now able to walk in the, in the sunlight of the Spirit, we're able to walk now with integrity because we're not carrying around these resentments, these fears, these sex conducts, I'm no longer going to be under constant fear and tension, and therefore I'm no longer going to need to eat more. Because at this point, I put the food down, so the allergy is incidental. What I'm dealing with right now is the ism of my alcoholism, and that's why there's an urgency to get through these steps. Because I understand with this twofold illness, if I put that food down, I am at the mercy of the larger part of my disease, this mental obsession. And that is only going to lead me to constant fear and tension. 
And that constant fear and tension is going to lead to more drinking. So step five is going to allow us to, to, to bring this process to its fruition. Because once again, if we read the steps in the wall, we think that the inventory is step four. When we read the directions in the big book, we see that the inventory is step four through nine. So we write our inventory, we release it in step five, we acknowledge those things that are objectionable, six, six, and seven, turn them over to God, and then we get right with our fellows in eight and nine. We have a spiritual awakening, the obsession is removed, and I have a, a skill set for life that's not that is going to allow me not to live in constant fear and tension. So let's look at that. Once again, coming to his senses, once again, we put the food down. He is revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. He is under constant fear and tension, and this makes for more drinking. But luckily, we have a solution to that, which is to work these steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Okay, let's move on to the next paragraph. KDF, would you read it for us? Katie, are you there? Press star one. Okay. Um, what about Lauren S.? Are you there? Yes, I am. Um, Lauren S., a recovered... Thank you, Lauren S. Would you read, oh, please? Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Lauren S., as in Sam, a recovered compulsive overeater from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. <clears throat> Psychologists are inclined to agree with us. We have spent thousands of dollars for examinations. We know but few instances where we have given these doctors a fair break. We have seldom told them the whole truth, nor have we followed their advice. Unwilling to be honest with these sympathetic men, we were honest with no one else. Small wonder many in the medical profession have a low opinion of alcoholics and their chance for recovery. Okay. Well, um, you know, this paragraph, it does relate to my, me as a person. You know, when I was reading this, I could say absolutely. I've never been completely honest with the therapists and doctors that I saw, especially when I was still actively binging. And this also, when this book was written, you know, they didn't have a lot of, they didn't have alcoholics who did, you know, fifth steps. They didn't have sponsors and step guides so they had psychologists they had their doctors they had spiritual clergymen and rabbis and priests and so I think that they're you know they're trying to stress that there is a way out for you people reading this book. There is a solution. We encourage you. You're going to need to do your fifth with somebody. Most likely it's, it's perhaps not going to be an alcoholic or a recovered alcoholic. 
and um, it might have to be your psychologist. And, and like was stressed in the earlier paragraphs, it's imperative you share your entire story. You know, they said they've, um, we've seldom told them the whole truth. And when I give my fourth to somebody or someone gives their fourth to me, we tell each other every every single bit of information that might be blocking us from God. You know, you know, this doesn't mean you tell them your entire story, you know, of of you know, this is my this is my history. I used to work at this job and and do this. This is you tell them every bit of information that might be blocking you from the spirit. Everything that you're holding on to that's shameful that you, for some reason, don't want to tell somebody because you're afraid you're going to be judged, you tell it all. And if you don't have a recovered addict, then perhaps you might have to tell your psychologist. And that's okay, too. You just have to make sure you tell them every bit of spirit-blocking information. And uh, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lorna. Who would like to share on this paragraph? This is Katie F. Hi, Katie. Go ahead, please. Good morning. This is Katie F., a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. And thank you, Lauren, S., for stepping in. I was beating on my phone and nothing was happening. So um, I'm here now. Had to hang up and call back in in case you ever have that trouble. It's just... um, but this paragraph is, you know, it's a uh, small wonder many in the medical profession have a low opinion of alcoholics and their chance for recovery. And, you know, I would say that that can be true in the rooms too, you know, that people come in and they're skeptical because they see people, you know, with a month or two or six or 10 or a decade or something and they go back out and then they think, well, this program doesn't work. Because, you know, you're not, um, no one seems to get it. You know, we, no one seems to stay absent. What's up with that? You know, well, this doesn't work. But, you know, um, this is asking for entire, entire honesty, that we have to be honest. And, you know, the good news is, you know, people have shared so much in the last couple of days on these paragraphs and you know a newcomer may be thinking well why in the world would I want to do that you know I've had people say that to me well why would I want to dig up all that stuff why would I want to talk about it why would I want to tell someone and I'm here to tell you that the reason why I do that and the reason why I did it and I continue to do that today is because there is freedom in my heart in my head in my gut in every pore of my being because I am honest today, because I have no ghosts in my closet. There is nothing um, um, There is nothing that people bring up and I, I shudder inside thinking, Ugh, I don't want to talk about that, you know, and, and you cannot buy that. You can't buy that. You can't eat it away. If there are things that you are not willing to share with your sponsor, then you need to find someone who you are willing to be honest with. 
And I'm telling you, there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> that we think that we're so unique and we're so different and we're so special, and we're not. And that's part of this process is to be humbled, not only honest, but humbled by the fact that we are not that unique. Um, you know, it's just, and it's such a freeing feeling because when I get this stuff out, whether it's a 10th step that I have to do from the day before, whether I have to apologize, you know, for little things or the, you know, most shameful thing I did in um, active addiction, once it's out there, then when I, I don't have to do it again, you know, I don't have to share on this line the deepest, darkest secrets of my life because I've already done it. I've already turned it over and it's gone. And I wake up every morning with a clear conscience. And if I don't, if there is something lingering from the day before, I get on my knees, I ask God for the willingness to take action. That's what this chapter is called, into action. It's not into thinking. It's not into wondering. It's not into contemplation. It is into action. And that action leads to freedom that is beyond your wildest dreams. And I didn't make that up, and I'll pass it. Thank you, Katie S. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Sandy. Sally. Sandy. And it, was that Ellen? Sally. Sally. I'm sorry, Sally. That's go ahead. Okay. Go ahead, Sandy. And Thanks so Sandy. much. This is Sandy, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. I want to share on this paragraph because this paragraph really applies to me and eating. Um, I shared with therapists about my problems with my eating and my food and my family, and they could not help me. They um, tried hypnosis. They tried um, recommending diets. They tried, um, you know, hypnosis. They tried um, all all kinds of things. They they sent me to Weight Watchers. They sent me to this place. They, you know, told me to go to the gym. They tried all different things, but those didn't work. And so I feel like they didn't get me. You know, they're like, oh, you should lose some weight. They didn't get me. They didn't know how to help me. So going to professionals for my eating disorder just didn't work. I needed to go to my fellows, and the first time I did my my fourth step, I did an autobiography, and I was trying to convince my sponsor that she should really feel sorry for me because I was a victim, like, you know, from, I don't know, from birth, I felt. So the the difference in doing the fourth step this way with the turnaround with taking responsibility lifted all of that, and I am free. I am really, really free. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Sandy. And Sally, please share. Sorry, I was pressing the unmute button. Did you say Sally? Yes, I did, Sally. Go ahead. Thanks. Thank you. Um, this is Sally A., a recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey. And I wanted to tie in um, what the 12 and 12, the AA 12 and 12 has to to say about this um, section it's on page 56, bottom of the page, and 57. And, and just um, because I think it's very valuable what's said in this companion book. Um, 
so what we're what we're reading here in the big book on page seventy three is talking about the psychologist and and of course it reminds me of the years and years and years of psychology and and um cognitive behavioral therapists that I sought to tweak my thinking and and make me to be not a compulsive overeater and it wasn't going to happen it was just wasn't going to happen but in the in the uh, twelve and twelve page fifty six it talks a little bit about how, um, from a religious standpoint, why it was so important for confession. Uh, and then it goes on, you know, it says it's, it's valuable to confess our, quote, sins before other people. And then it goes on to talk about psychology and, and how it's wonderful for us to examine and self-knowledge and our personal flaws and, and you know, having discussions with other people. But the, the best part is at the bottom of the page, page 56 in the 12 and 12, most of us would declare that without a fearless admission of our defects to another human being, we could not stay sober. It seems plain that the grace of God will not enter to expel our destructive obsession until we are willing to try this. Here's the best part. It's on page 57. What are we likely to receive from step five? For one thing, we shall get rid of that terrible sense of isolation we've always had. Almost without exception, alcoholics are tortured by loneliness. Even before our drinking got bad and people began to cut us off, nearly all of us suffered the feeling that we didn't quite belong. Either we were shy and dared not draw near others, or we were apt to be noisy good fellows craving attention and companionship, but never getting it, at least to our way of thinking. There was always that mysterious barrier we could neither surmount nor understand. And of course, you can read this chapter for yourself. There's more and more. But the important thing that I wanted to say here is, again, the, the beauty of step five is that we're not alone anymore. We're smashing the isolation portion of our disease because it is, for me, a very real portion of my disease. I was extremely isolative. I was living in my own shell of a human being. I wasn't really myself anymore. I was just really a mess um, because I was so numb and so drunk from the food. And if I wasn't in the food, if I wasn't drunk in the food, it was only because I had um, maybe a day or two of abstinence, which threw me headlong back into the food because I couldn't take the reality of my life. And, um, and so... The step five that they're talking about here is crucial. But, of course, you have to do step one, two, three, and four before you get to step five. And if you're not at step five, keep that in mind that this is a very important step to take. But be sure that you're in the step that you're in today. Thanks for letting me share. With that, I passed. Thank you, Sally. And who else would like to share on this paragraph? Melissa from New York. Okay, Melissa, please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. Um, you know, I was thinking, you know, as I'm listening this morning, um, how I became uh, a hider and um, inauthentic and maybe a liar was, um, you know, probably grown out of something, you know, that I was brought up with that put, put that smile on your face and be a lady and, Nobody wants to see your tears, and nobody wants to see you pout. And you know that was um, 
probably so that I would be pleasing to other people, but that doesn't make for intimacy and that doesn't make for honesty. You're makes me a fake and a liar. And um and then when I lie, the only thing that I have that's real that can bring me comfort if I'm not getting it from my exchanges of people is the food. And um you know, that uh putting on that public face, um crowded out the real me. And um, and and that this program is really all about now. How can I live in the sunlight of the spirit? And that is through real exchange with my fellows. And um, and that starts with getting honest. You know, I first get honest with myself, um, and then it's mandatory that I start getting real and honest with other people. And um, you know, what a gift that when I'm honest. Um, God is everything, and um, and then I can have acceptance, and I can live the summit of spirit. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. And this is Kathy. I'm a compulsive reader, and I'd like to take a turn here. Um, you know, it occurs to me that uh, I had been so dishonest all my life, and even with um, years of therapy behind me, um, I was still so blocked against uh, my feelings and my experiences. It wasn't until I was given the structure of the inventory in step four um, that I was able to begin to look at myself and to reveal myself and share myself in step five. Um, the, the inventory process gave me access uh to um especially my fears and my resentments uh, personally i had always used food to cover these up and even when i had periods of abstinence um i was not aware of uh the extent to which resentment was a part of my life um if i weren't eating over it i would get very, very busy, and that was another addictive process which kept me from recognizing what was going on inside. So I view step five as such a gift that actually um, requires me first uh, to do the inventory work, and again, we do it forever in step ten. Um, so the first, we learn how to do it in step four and five, and then we continue that um, uh, behavior in order to live in the sunlight of the spirit. And I'm just so grateful that uh, I had the experience and I continue to have the experience on a daily basis. And with that, I pass. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Okay, uh, KDF, are you there? Oh, sorry. Okay, Lois, go ahead. Hi, good morning. Good morning, Kathy and everyone on the line. Lois uh, recovered in Massachusetts. And uh, I was just in deep thought, but uh, it it just brings me back to, um, you know, before the fourth step, you know, this this method, the program, the big book, is, is such a sequential, you know, process. 
and um, and it's so imp- it was so imperative for me to um, to follow directions, which was you know I was never able to do that. Many many years I was never able to do that. I picked and chose whatever you know I thought applied to my life, and I was arrogant enough and you know full of myself. But but I want to say that you know in in gratitude, I want to say, you know, the, the best thing I ever did while I was still in the disease and still searching and, and trying to surrender, you know, to, to, yes, I have the mind of an alcoholic. I have a mind of an alcoholic, and this, is, this book was written for you, Lois. Every word of it is very imperative. You know, I used to agonize over, oh, my God, are they going to talk about every word? You know, this was back then. Every word and um, and what I've learned by by you know just taking it doing it my own way was every word in this book is very important and to me I value every word today as well. But my main thought today was was the the uh, the honesty of of recovered and recovering as well. You know because the, you know there's so many things that recovering people have have given to uh to my my program as well in listening to people in in regular OA at times and on on the t- telephone meetings you know w- the honesty that people share you know with their experience and their character defects you know gave me the ability to admit well I have those things too and they're talking about it out loud and everybody is listening to them and you know in a respectful way. So when 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 you knew and you you're listening and you're going to meetings and you're hearing uh, recovered or recovering people share, you know, their experience with these steps, I I'm I'm mindful of that. I try to, you know, be as honest with with my character defects and to own them in public because I know that gave me the courage to say yes I did that too I did that you know I wonder how she felt about me doing that so you know it meetings are very important um respectful honesty was that was the key that was a very big important key for me being able to go through the fourth and the fifth step and to admit you know that it, I, I too had these character defects and this could work for me as well and you walk around and holding your head up and and in a very respectful way and so that must mean that it's okay for me to have these character defects as well and this program will work for me to remove them and thank you Kathy I'll pass thank you Lois who else would like to share on this paragraph Okay, um, we don't have a lot of time, but I think I'll ask Katie uh, F. to read the next paragraph. We can at least get started on it. Good morning. This is Katie F., a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. We must be entirely honest with somebody if we expect to live long or happily in this world. Rightly and naturally, we think well before we choose the person or persons with whom to take this intimate and confidential step. Those of us belonging to a religious denomination which requires confession must, and of course, will want to go to the properly appointed authority whose duty it is to receive it. Though we have no religious connection, we may still do well to talk with someone ordained by an established religion. We often find such a person quick to see and understand our problem. Of course, we sometimes encounter people who do not, who do not understand alcoholics. 
so this is just a warning paragraph here to say, you know, don't just um, go up to anybody um, and share your fist up. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, you need to think it through. You need to pray it through and ask um, for um, direction on who you should do it with. Um, I remember the first time I did a four-step, which was, you know, five years before I actually got abstinent and stayed abstinent. Um, you know, I had just written, it was more like a drunk but I think I had thrown in some, you know, character defects or bad behavior. But, you know, it's basically just a history. But I met this person and she said, okay, I've got 30 minutes because um, this show is going to be on and I need to be home to watch it. And, you know, that was just like punching me in the stomach. I just felt so not, um, <laughs> you know, just not not okay about what I was trying to do. And, and it was just the most meaningless thing in the world and of course I ended up eating and never you know didn't stay abstinent for another five years but um you know so you want to be sure that whoever you pick is someone that you trust to, to keep your anonymity someone that you you know don't feel um will shame you and you know a lot of it's just such a delicate balance because we can can be can use that as an excuse also to not to not do it and um, so I it's um you know if you are in a, a religion if you have you know a church or a synagogue where there's someone there that you feel you could be honest with and you don't have a sponsor you know by all means do that but it's sort of um, it's open it's opening up the idea that there's no excuse to not do this because there is someone that you can share your fist up with, but don't do it um, without thinking it through. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Uh, we have time for one more share. Would anyone like to share on this paragraph? This is Elaine. Go ahead, Elaine. Hi, this is Elaine, Recover Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts. Thanks for your service, uh, Kathy. And um, yes, the fifth step, we absolutely can share that with whoever we want. It doesn't have to be our sponsor. And we need to really prayerfully consider who that person will be. My first big book, I was aware of what the 12 steps were and that there was part of that. My first big book sponsor was... Uh, somebody I heard share in a meeting that was a sex and love addict, and the stories she told were were bigger than mine, and I had a lot of stories. And so the next time I tried to get through the steps, I found somebody who was out there and, and affiliated with my church that I gave my, um, my fifth step away to. She had no uh, history with recovery and was not able to give me any feedback. She just listened. And I know that... Both of these exercises were really important to me for my process, but when I gave my fifth step away to my Vision for You sponsor, the feedback that I got, I was able to get a spiritual awakening that was spirit, that was sufficient to bring about recovery. I've heard other people talk about having spiritual awakenings as they, or spiritual experiences as they um, give away their first, fifth step and get feedback. And so I just want to encourage people that are looking at doing their fifth step or have done their fifth step in the past and have gone back in the food that one of the things you may want to consider as you carefully consider this and bring it to your higher power 
is to ask to be directed to somebody who can give the feedback that you need to truly clear away the wreckage of your past, to truly unblock you from God and others. And I think it, that for me was a real key through which I passed through a door of freedom. And I cannot believe the difference that it's made for me in, in my relationships with so many people. And um, with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Elaine. Um, okay, it is now time to bring this meeting to a close. Thank you, everyone who has shared and listened today. Uh, we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164 and follow that with the serenity prayer. And I'm wondering, uh, Lauren S., can you read for us on page 164? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. I can. Thank you. Okay. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.